You're listening to All Marine Radio, broadcasting from Costa Mesa, California, on the All Warrior Radio Network. make it an aloha monday to you yeah all you mainland losers out there yeah greetings from the cool kids in the hawaiian islands happy father's day to all you fathers out there belatedly but happy nonetheless Hope you had a great Father's Day. I spent mine flying here to uh, to Hawaii. And I spent the day before Father's Day cleaning my house, doing a little plumbing work. Yeah, Colleen's bathroom has a, had a slow sink. And... Uh, Same thing with the shower. No doubt, hair and just cream rinse and shampoo and soap and all that gunk. So I tried Drano. And it, you know, it got better. But the shower specifically, um, the shower, not so much. So... I um I went back to Home Depot and I went to the plumbing section where they have the Drano. Found the Home Depot guy and he's a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, he's a Navy guy. Drove LCUs. Yeah, 1970. Went back in 72. D- doing some stuff there. So anyway... <clears throat> Hold on, that's not supposed to be repeating itself. The um, so I said, "Hey, man, I've got just gunk in a drain. I think, but it's been there for probably a decade since it's been cleaned. 
um, can you tell me what I should use? And he looks at me, he says, don't use drain or whatever you do. I'm like, oh, God, who would do that? Who would do something that stupid? So, um, <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I did not fess up to doing Drano and, um, and he gave me the name of this stuff. I can't remember the name of it, but it's sitting on the shelf in home at Home Depot in a, and it's got like the container and the containers in a plastic bag. Like, yeah, I don't know what that is, but <clears throat> is that going to hurt somebody? He said, oh, well, it's just powerful. He said, when you put it on, you know, when you're messing with it, pouring it, you know, make sure you have rubber gloves on. I said, that's what I want. I said, it won't melt the pipes? He said, no, no. He said, in fact, what you should do is, he said, dump it in the pipe. And if you can, leave it there overnight. Let it do its thing overnight. And uh, he said, then turn on the hot water in the morning. And uh, he said, it's it's the best stuff we got. So, I bought a bigger than normal, you know, jug of it, and I put it in sinks, showers, uh, <laughs> uh, in both bathrooms, in the kitchen, and uh, yeah, I was able to let it sit overnight, and uh, yeah, got my plumbing merit badge over the weekend. So, uh, yeah. And then uh, got some decorative non-skid for the tub, sh- sh- tub, so nobody cracks their head in there. So did a little, did all that kind of stuff over the weekend, and uh, got the house clean. Uh, my nephew, who's a lieutenant, just got back uh, with the 15th Mew. He's going to stay there for a few days, make sure Jack and Joe don't get eaten by somebody. So... Uh, so uh, he'll stay there, Colleen, out of town, yeah, being the jet-setting 17-year-old high school graduate that she is, um, so he's taking care of the puppies as they are, so that's a good thing, and then I trip planning to come here. Now, I'm not a real fan of Southwest Airlines because of the whole cattle herding thing, so you know, so how do you get around that? You know, you got to sign up and whatever order you check in. That's where, that's where you're at in the plane. If you check in late, you're going to be sitting in the middle of something. No bueno, right? So I see you can pay for early check-in. I'm like, hmm, what is that? Cost me 50 bucks going and coming. Now, mind you, it's a five and a half hour flight out here. I'm not sitting in the middle of shit for five and a half hours. So 50 bucks, not a problem. Plus, honestly, um, it's the cost of a checked bag on most airlines, except on Southwest. The first two bags now fly free. Yeah, how about that? And internet's only eight bucks for the day. Hmm. Why is everybody else so much more expensive? But anyway, that aside. Um... So I pay for early check-in, and, like, I'm in with the A's, which means you're sitting in Southwest. You're sitting in, like, the first 10 rows in the on the aisle. Who knew? That's right. Who knew? And um, so, um, yeah, get on uh, 
get on the airplane. You know, pre-TSA, wonderful. Don't got to get messed with. Walk in. They look at your stuff. You go through. Pff, no fuss, no muss. Go to the gate. Hop on the plane. Go to San Jose. Get on the plane in San Jose. Go buy myself a sandwich. Eat it. And then uh, hop on the plane out here to Hawaii. And I uh, I worked a lot of the way. And I listened to a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And The Body Keeps the Score, man, it's a long audiobook. And um, <clears throat> I'll tell you how long it is as an audiobook. Yeah, no joke, man. So it's written, it's, it's about trauma. All right. So I'm about an hour into it. And I have seven hours and 58 minutes left of part one. Yeah, there's two parts, just so you know. Okay, so let me tell you about part two. I have to go into my library here. Two parts. Um, part two is seven hours and 23 minutes. Yeah, so it's probably nine and seven, 16 and a half hours. That's a no-joke book about trauma and uh, your body and your brain. So pretty interesting guy. He's Belgian or Dutch, and uh, <clears throat> and does you know comes to the United States. Does a lot of work with Vietnam veterans, where a lot of this, you know, diagnosis of uh, in fact the diagnosis happens in 1980 of this thing that nobody's ever heard of called PTSD. So it was interesting. So, but <clears throat> what I'm trying to do is, um. You know, is sit there, you know, and pay attention to it. So I think I'm going to try to do it for an hour a day for about two weeks. And and but and then when I sit there and I pay attention, I take notes, copious notes, because I find it interesting because he affirms things that I know I know to be true. Because my uh, my all my exposure, you know, with trauma and things like that, it's all OJT. It's things I've learned by doing. I know them to be true because I've seen so many people that either do the same thing or say the same thing under the guise of the sun shines on a bear's ass every once in a while. A dog's ass, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, these things are obvious. Well, why are they obvious? Because so many people say them. In the sixth year of All Marine Radio, which we started two weeks ago, um, a little bit more than two weeks ago. Um, in the six-year Balmering Radio, I can tell you what people say because I've had thousands of conversations about it. So it's very interesting. Very interesting. So I, I enjoy I enjoyed the first hour and a half that I listened to. I listened to the prologue, which was itself interesting. And then I listened to uh, <clears throat> the first chapter about Vietnam veterans. So uh, I would, I would uh, it's been recommended to me by a, variety of, a number of people. And I downloaded it and started listening to it. So I would I would tell you, um, I'll give you updates periodically. And uh, so, yeah. So I'm out here to uh, back in Pearl Harbor at Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. Beautiful day today. Flying in, you know, you fly in over the south part of the island. And uh, I made sure I got a chance to be on the left-hand side of the aircraft because you're, <clears throat> you're coming, you're flying west, right? 
you fly over the south part of Oahu and then you fly up the western coast of Oahu and then you turn right and you come down from the north and you land at uh, Daniel, I think it's K-N-O-E, International Airport, which is in Honolulu. It is the civilian airfield that exists next to Hickam Airfield. That's right, of Pearl Harbor fame. So Pearl Harbor and Hickam sit right next to each other, unbeknownst to me, till I came here. And this is my third visit to speak to the third PAC Air Force Commanders Conference that they're doing in the in three months. So uh, I'm friends with people here now. In fact, the cab driver... I, I only use one cab driver when I come to Honolulu. Yeah, same guy. I don't even know his name. I think his name's Eddie. Either his name's Eddie or the company's name is called Eddie. Eddie's taxi. I just call him Eddie. So I, I get to the airport today and I call him. I said, hey, Eddie, can you come get me? I'm at the airport. <laughs> He's like, is this Mac? I'm like, yes. Happy Father's Day. And he just starts laughing. He goes, happy Father's Day. He says, yes, I will come get you. Uh, born and raised in Japan, came here um, 20 years ago. And his daughter just graduated from high school, like my daughter. So, uh, yeah, so he he gets me around from the base to 7-Eleven where I bought a few things, <clears throat> come over here to Hickam, check into the BOQ, and then to my little quarters. My quarters are a little nicer. Yeah, it's kind of a a bigger place than I'm used to so uh happy about that and uh and so but most excited I'll speak tomorrow to a group of uh uh Air Force staff and COs and whoever shows up at that so that'll be good do a little bit more seed planning and uh and then on Tuesday I'll speak to the commander's conference I'm hoping Tuesday morning to go to the Punch Bowl, and uh, I'd like to see my uh, great uncle's name, uh, who was killed. Um, his name was Hank Metzger, and uh, he was killed on the USS Halligan when it hit a mine, and the front third of the ship was blown off, a destroyer. 19 of 21 officers killed, 150 of 280 sailors killed. Their bodies never recovered off the coast of Okinawa when they were escorting minesweepers that were sweeping for mines, and they hit one. The mine hits adjacent to the Ford magazine, and thing goes up in flames. So um, <clears throat> anyway, uh, his body never recovered, and uh, so I want to get to Ford Island too, and so I'm not, but I'm not sure if I'll be able to do both those today. I I, I think I have to. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, so I'm going to see if I can get the base historian maybe to take me around a little bit too. Uh, I got to shoot him an email and, uh, <clears throat> he, you know, I hung out last time I was here. Uh, so it's just, you know, sitting having conversations with somebody whose business it is, the history of this, you know, absolutely historic, uh, base in American history. So uh, very cool, and uh, and the reason I sat on the left-hand side is when you come from the north, if you sit on the left-hand side, um, as you near the airport, 
Pearl Harbor off to the left side. So I got a chance to see it and take pictures of it as uh, as we landed. And uh, <clears throat> very cool stuff. I mean, if you're a history geek like I am. And so, uh, so yeah, so uh, I enjoyed it. So busy, uh, busy couple days in, in terms of uh, being a plumber. You know, had to do my yard work too. I take a little pride in my yard. My yard looks impeccable right now. Backyard looks great, so uh, had to t- had to square all that away, and uh, and then uh, and then throw the plumbing in and and whatnot. So uh, so yeah, busy busy few days getting ready to come here. That on the heels of uh, Colleen's graduation and some other stuff, and then going up to Montana. So busy couple weeks for me, um, but this is a this is a training highlight. Um, I've I've made friends out here. Um, Air Force people, um, Air Force general officers out here have, have been absolutely gracious to me. I got an email uh, from one the other day saying, telling me, hey, do not worry about the time of your presentation. You take as much time as you want to. I was like, wow, thank you. I'll try not to do that, but um, it's long enough as it is. But, I mean, the sentiment when somebody reaches out and says that, is pretty cool pretty cool and i have to tell you this man i'm really excited about post-traumatic winning i think it's going it's finally gotten in touch with uh we'll see knock on wood uh the right people who have a vision for something like this and i have a hypothesis about why the world needs post-traumatic winning and i say the world in that it's it's not a American phenomenon trying to live well trying to live a great life after trauma I wouldn't even say the great life just trying to live a good life let alone great but yeah I mean it's that's that's a that's a a desire all over the world but think about this if we're not the solution if us helping each other isn't the solution are there enough is there enough medication is there enough uh therapists in the world to help everybody what's the answer to that uh no and you want to know why the whole approach is flawed look at the look at the numbers especially in the dod and the va all those numbers do is go up so what that what would that tend to tell you this approach is flawed well what are you left with well geez i don't know well i do i know because i've seen it yeah, yeah, that's why. So, um, so again, um, had some interesting conversations with people uh, about post-traumatic winning and what they see in it and where they see it could go. And uh, so pretty exciting stuff, pretty exciting stuff. Um, so, yeah, so I'll be here at Pearl Harbor, um, obviously today, Monday, uh, tomorrow, Tuesday. So I speak both days and then I fly home on wednesday so uh again happy father's day to all you fathers out there and uh to some of you moms who act as fathers happy father's day to you too um it's not the way i think we draw it up i think uh but you know what sometimes life doesn't work out like that so uh happy father's day to all you moms who serve as dad and uh certainly uh your contribution 
uh, as they get older and you watch them become good good human beings, uh, strong members of communities, uh, there is no, no greater feeling on the planet than that. So good Monday morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band will, uh, will make this morning official. Good morning to you. This is dedicated to the people out here at Pack Air, at Pack Air Force um, who uh, waited a year to have me out here, and um, and in particular, there's a woman, and her name is Elaine, and uh, she has kind of carried the ball on this thing, and uh, and made sure that that this thing actually happened uh, when I'm not sure that, you know, there was some people might not have been too interested that it happened. Um, but Elaine, um, she kind of kept alive uh, the task that uh, Shereen Brown, whose husband now is the uh, uh, chief of staff of the United States Air Force. And it was Shereen Brown who saw this, uh, who saw post-traumatic winning, and uh, and she said, you got to come do this on the Pacific. So uh, Elaine Daly Rath is her name. And uh, she's been absolutely fantastic to me, whether it be having me do this virtually so people could see it, uh, solving problems to get me out here to include all the different COVID things you have to do. And um, no, she's just been absolutely wonderful and so um so i just want to thank her and uh and again i i just uh, the experience i've had here um has been crazy good um i did it the first time uh i'm setting up to do it the second time and guys walk up to me and they say are you mac i don't know it was like three lieutenant colonels and i said yeah Actually, I said, does he owe you money? And they started laughing. They said, no. And I said, oh, yeah, that's me then. And um, 
they said, we heard you're one of the best parts about this week. And uh, I made some joke about, I'm not going to lie to you guys, probably true. And they started laughing. And, um, and I, you know, we shook hands and they said, no, we're excited to hear what you have to say. And I said, well, you know, I'm, it's exciting for me to do it because I, I'm just going to tell you this, it works. It works. We're the answer to, 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 to 98% of this, we're the answer. And you can, and you guys, are, as commanders, you guys are going to have a chance to do it. And so, uh, so then they listen, then they come up afterwards, and and they want to talk more. And so, it's just, um, like I said, I mean, I, I have, uh, I have the coolest job, and it keeps getting cooler, but it doesn't happen, you know, without people kind of sticking their neck out a little bit. Because I, I will tell you this: there's a lot of professionals inside the DoD uh, that don't like me and don't like this. And they do their best to keep me from speaking places. Yeah, no kidding. And so uh, when I do go someplace, somebody stuck their neck out and say, no, I've heard him or I've heard of him. And I've seen the data that goes with what he does. And he's coming. And so um, so anyway, Shreem Brown uh, was the architect. But uh, Elaine Daly-Rath is the one who actually... Um, jammed it through and uh, and made it work. So, uh, with all that said, this is dedicated to them in tandem. Uh, the Browns have gone on to bigger and better things. So, uh, out here in the Pacific Air, Air Force, um, Elaine Daly-Rath is the one that, uh, that made this happen. So, my thanks to her. <laughs> betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well i'm very confident that thank you very much if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore. So young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. 
and we are executing every day. And Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't. We don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago: persevere against difficult, challenging conditions and odds and win. You got to win. We're gonna check the weather now around Marine Land, but I have to tell you, it's uh. It's a lot earlier than normal, okay? So just so you know, I'm recording this Sunday evening, but it'll give you a chance to know what the uh, weather's like around the world. And since we're, we're all pivoting to the Pacific, I shit canned, <laughs> I shit canned Norway out of the, uh, out of the mix. And uh, I threw in Manila. Yeah, because I think the Philippines are that important. So, current temperatures. It's uh, about midnight on the East Coast. It's clear in 77 in Quantico. Down the coast, it's dark cloudy and... 79 at Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune. They've got three weather alerts down there. So once you have three, that breaks squelch. So we got to check it out. Tropical storm warnings. Let's see. One, tropical storm warning in effect. Two, tropical weather statement until Monday at 7.15. And a flash flood watch uh, on Monday. So... There you have it. Across the country, Marine Corps Base 29 Palms at 9 o'clock at night. It is clear, dark, and 95. In 29 Palms. Yeah, looking for a high of 108 tomorrow. But it's a dry 108. Camp Smith in Hawaii. Uh, the sun is falling. It is uh, 77 degrees with mostly sunny skies. It uh, In the Philippines, it is um, mostly sunny and 85 degrees. Okinawa is cloudy in 81. Darwin sunny in 88. And uh, that is the uh, that is look at your weather. That's uh, the, our pivot to the Pacific. Yeah, Manila in there now. So uh, the weather in the vicinity of the South China Sea. So uh, that is a, a look at your weather. Um, there's a few stories. Uh, one, uh, the new prime minister of Israel. Yeah, kind of calling out the United States saying, hey, you know, you need to get your heads out of your asses relative to starting arms negotiations with Iran again, right? And so in some interesting message sending, the U.S. is cutting air defense systems and force levels in the Mideast 
as the Biden administration realigns its military posture to focus on countering China and Russia. Again, you're also message sending to Iran. Um, so, interesting. Interesting. The, um, <clears throat> so, that in the news. I saw a term I'd never seen before. Here's a headline. VA plans to offer gender confirmation surgery to transgender veterans. I'd never heard the word gender confirmation. So that's a word now. Interesting. Um, but that's not the story that I'm, uh, I'm interested in. The story that I'm interested in right, has to do with the uh, Israeli prime minister. Easing himself into his new job. And um, and and being pretty blunt about it. Israeli P- Prime Minister Naftali, Naftali Bennett, warns U.S. to wake up before rejoining the Iran nuclear agreement. Another headline, new Israeli prime minister calls on the world to wake up on the Iran nuclear deal. From the Associated Press, Israeli prime minister, world powers must wake up on Iran nuclear deal. So I'll just share with you a little bit of the the AP story, because I think it's it's an important story. This guy's brand new in the job. Israel's new prime minister... Naftali Bennett opened his first cabinet meeting on Sunday by slamming Iran's newly elected president and calling on world powers to wake up to the perils of returning to a nuclear agreement with Tehran. Later in the day, Bennett warned warned Gaza's militant Hamas rulers that Israel would not tolerate even minor attacks from the territory in the wake of last month's 11-day war, saying our patience is running out. But Israel also said it would allow limited agricultural export from Gaza for the first time since the war was halt, halted those exports due to an informal ceasefire. So uh, late last week, Iran hardliner Judiciary Chief Abraham Razi was elected Saturday with 62% of the vote amid historically low turnout. He is sanctioned by the U.S. in part over his involvement in the mass execution of thousands of political prisoners in 1988 at the end of the Iran-Iraq War. So, uh, so that is news. So big, big events in uh, once again in the Middle East. So uh, the Biden administration. Um, We'll see. At some point, Iran will test him, and uh, we will see how that all plays out. But uh, Israel's brand new prime minister in his first ever cabinet meeting, you know, essentially calls out the United States and its allies to wake up relative to Iran. So, so that pretty interesting. The um, let me just go through um, the Monday. Stories are not out, but I'll give you I'll give you a few headlines. Um, 
a lot of stories about um, about weapons missing. Um, I'm not particularly interested. I mean, in that story in a, in a, in a general way, but uh, I don't know. I mean, that stuff goes on, and I think there's more to be there's more to be developed in that story relative to are are these shipments that are being intercepted from manufacturers to to the military are they intramilitary you know um trans you know transportation of weapons so i need to read more about it um <clears throat> marine corps shuts down southern command rotational deployment after five years, the Marine Corps is shutting down its Special Purpose Marine Air Ground Task Force, Southern Command, as the Corps looks to save money to reshape itself. The Special Purpose MAGTAP Southern Command originally was stood up in 2014 and has spent most of its time headquartered in Soto Cano Air Base in Honduras. From its Honduras headquarters, small groups of Marines would deploy to South American nations to aid disaster in disaster relief, train along on, alongside allies, and prepare local troops to take on drug cartels. The recently released Marine Corps budget request for fis fiscal year 2022 called for an end to the rotational deployment to save over $3 million a year, according to budget documents. So you're starting to see the manifestation of some things that... Uh, um, General Berger said in his comments before Congress and uh, the Marine Corps uh, talking about, yeah, it's no joke that, you know, we have to put an end to these deployments because they're 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 hindering our ability to do other things. You know, and, and we've talked about um, we talked about the Marine Corps ability to say no, which seemingly does not exist. And uh, and yet the force is getting smaller, the rubber band gets stretched tighter, and whatnot. So uh, yeah, somebody's gonna have to make hard decisions. And uh, so um, I don't, I you know, it's hard to applaud that because you know wherever Marines go around the world, they're welcomed, you know, with open arms by the people they train with. Because uh, I mean, they've read about Marines, they know about Marines, they want you know they want to train with Marines. And so it's, you know, it's, it's, you don't like to say no, certainly, but there's only so much to go around. And, you know, and, and once you begin to, you know, stretch the rubber band too much, you start breaking stuff. You break people, you break equipment, simply it's not sustainable. And, you know, I think the DOD and the Marine Corps and the Army, you know, have both been in that mode for a long time. So, uh, <clears throat> so that in the news, uh, top story in, uh, in USNI news, give me one second, I'll pull it up, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do today. There's a uh, there's a video out you should check out. Uh, explosive USS Gerald R4 shock trial. Um, so what they did is Navy detonated explosives that were the equivalent of a 4.0 4 magnitude earthquake adjacent to the Gerald Ford to see if it could sustain the damage. So, uh, yeah, you should check that out. So that is in the news.
And then uh, the continued story about Navy surface warfare officers. And uh, the Navy's um, struggle with, with what to do with that community, the attrition in that community, uh, you know, the attrition very high among female officers and also among male officers as well. So anyway, uh, the carrier Carl Vincent is drilling near Hawaii. Yeah, ahead of its first deployment with F-35s. So exciting news. So, uh, again, surface warfare officers in the news uh, a lot uh, lately, as they should be. They are the backbone of the United States Navy. They drive the ships. They make it work. And it's it's their generalist, you know, uh, craft of, you know, knowing how to run ships. And you need people to go do that. The question that they ask is, are we being set up for success? by this generalist path and there's people saying no so navy very much having to look inward uh to tackle that and then i believe this is from friday let me take a look at it though uh the early bird yeah it is um so i'm not going to go ahead and repeat those let me tell you what we're going to do to today um i'm going to play for you some of the clips from the but that uh, some of the clips from the budget hearing, and I'm gonna tell you that it, it's things that you you will want to listen to. Um, it is uh, it is exchanges uh, about Force Design 2030. It's about where the Navy's going in terms of ships and budgets. So um, it's pretty interesting discussion. Again, uh, know that it is uh, it is done in open session. So I mean, you can't hear everything. But um, you're, they're doing it in public. And so it's, uh, it's very interesting. So uh, without further ado, live from Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam, um, the, um, the House Armed Service Committee uh, conducted a hearing on the Department of the Navy budget. Okay. Now, um, that budget... Uh, contains both the United States Marine Corps um, and the United States Navy. And so um, so you're going to hear a selection of cuts, and, you, and you'll hear beeps in between it. So you'll hear the question, and, uh, and then you'll hear... Um, and if I need to, I'll, I'll I'll tell you who's speaking, so you know who's speaking. And I, and I think it's pretty interesting stuff that you're hearing in an open session. And uh, and I'll I'll just I'll just give you some examples of. Um, I, I think most of you saw the 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 exchange last week between a representative by the name of Landborn and the CNO about the reading list. I'm not going to play that. All right. Um, Landborn then asked to comment on the Marine Corps. If you don't have Tomahawk cruise missiles, then what? Uh, Former Marine uh, from Massachusetts, Representative Seth Moulton, asked the commandant about the CH-53 kilo buy, saying that it's too big. Um, Congressman Whitman to the commandant, where are you in the process? And General Berger gives a pretty interesting 
um, uh, answer to that. Um, there's a question about requests for forces. So these are, you know, we make plans and what and whatnot, and then you have, you know, for instance, the commanding general CENTCOM. He requests forces. They're called RFFs. And then what happens is everybody scrambles to provide that force to the combatant commander because that's the way we that's the way it works. They request and and you support it. So um, there's a discussion about is that RFF process broken? Then you have a congressman from California, John Garamendi, who was also the chair of the subcommittee on readiness. The, his committee held the hearing on the AV sinking off the west coast of California. So he asked the commandant, can you explain the Marine Corps force design to the of the future to us and where you're at? So he asked that, and then he uh, then he asked the commandant about a change in um, a change in command structure relative to the inspector general and the AV incident, and the commandant uh, talks about that. So so it's very again very interesting stuff because it's all first person CNO and the commandant, and so I've cut up a little bit of it. You'll probably hear some of it today and more of it tomorrow. Uh, so without further ado, I'll be back at the end of this. Don't touch that dial because I promise you, you'll you'll find it extremely interesting because it is. So uh, with that said, this is a, a hearing last week. Commandant of the Marine Corps, the Secretary of the Navy, and uh, the acting Secretary of the Navy, his name is, I think, Harkin, I believe is his name. And, um, and then the uh, CNO, the Chief of Naval Operations, um, Admiral Gilday. So, uh, here they are. The first congressman you'll hear is a guy named Doug Lamborn. He's from Colorado. He's a Republican. Admiral, excuse me, General Berger, uh, the number one and number three items on your unfunded priority list are naval strike missiles and tactical tomahawks. Um, if you don't have those, what's that going to do to the buildup of your plan for the Indo-Pacific? Sure, those two are in the top for a reason, as you highlight. That's going to allow us to control straits, to control pieces of littoral areas from either ship or from shore in, a, in an expeditionary and a light manner, because it's really a, a JLTV with a missile on the back of it that can... That can hold that bay, can hold that risk and, and adversaries, naval vessels. Without it, we just allow them to maneuver with some freedom that we don't want them to have. So it's important for distributed maritime operations. It's important for our future role. Well, I'll try to help you work on getting that funded. I'll yield the, uh, the rest of my time to the gentleman, uh, Mr. Whitman. Thank you, Mr. Lamborn. Uh, Acting Secretary of the Navy, Harker, I want to ask this. I, I could ask you about uh, the Navy's plan for negative seven ships. I could ask you about them taking out a DDG. I could ask them about absolutely blowing up the multi-ship procurement for amphibious ships. But what I want to focus on is where we are in the fork of the road, I believe, with modernization versus generating current readiness. And uh, as Yogi Berra once said, when you get to the fork in the road, take it. Uh, I want to know what's the Navy's future plan and how do they make sure that we're pursuing 
the necessary modernization elements, especially in light of a budget that seems like to me to be completely abandoning any sort of future modernization efforts? Yes, sir. We tried to focus on modernization and to balance that with the need for current readiness, and it made very difficult decisions for us. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Your time has expired. Mr. Moulton is recognized for five minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. And uh, first, I want to start um, by just thanking Admiral Gilday for uh, for defending basic American values of uh, free and critical thought, which I think are one of the most important weapons we hold against adversaries like China. Uh, General Berger, uh, to start with you, last year I asked you about the CH-53K requirement. Uh, I regret using the word requirement as you responded that you need 200 aircraft per the established program of record. Less than 30 days after you testified, you released your force design report and stated that you needed fewer heavy lift helicopters. Then in March of this year, you said that you do not need at least two full squadrons of heavy lift helicopters compared to your previous plans. 32 fewer aircraft creates a potential savings for the American taxpayer or for the Marine Corps of $4.4 billion. So if you were allowed to change the acquisition plan and recover those funds, can you please state how you would use those savings and why? I think I agree with the premise, and I uh, tried to address it in my opening comments. I think you look at us, you look to us to buy what we need, nothing more. So we need to match the vertical lift capability to the size of the Marine Corps and the tasks we're going to have in the future. I think the programmer record is, I know, it's larger than we're going to need. I think we're going to learn as we go through experimentation, through wargaming, just how many we'll need to reduce but that initial program of record was based on a much larger Marine Corps. Where would I redirect those funds? On things like the unfunded priority list that would help us accelerate force design, get us a bigger margin of strategic advantage over the PLN faster. So I want to make sure the ranking member and other members of this, other colleagues of mine on this committee hear this, which is that we need to listen to you in your requirements. If we want to fund unfunded requirements, we should start by saving money on things that you don't need. I think that's really critical. Admiral Gilday, how are you addressing this same question? What is Big Navy doing to make these important trade-offs between old and new capabilities? Because we simply don't have the luxury of keeping all our older systems while also investing in new ones. Yes, sir. And so, as I, as I mentioned earlier, we, we, need, we need the Navy forward to be relevant. And as Admiral David testified, as Admiral Aquilino testified, uh, China is becoming increasingly a concern with respect to Taiwan. We need to be out there. And so I continue to fund the readiness of an aging fleet that, as I mentioned, is 21 years old. It's expensive, but that's the Navy that I believe the nation needs out there on point. I'm investing heavily in, in new technologies, hypersonics as an example, directed energy in the defensive side as an example. As opposed to years ago, we are actually doing the maintenance on our ships. We're getting better at doing that maintenance on time. We're not deferring the maintenance. We're not kicking it down the road because we know that 70% of the force we have today we're going to have in the future. Sir, it, it, it is a balance between being ready today and making those investments for a force just around the corner that, that we may need tomorrow. It's, base, it's, 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 a, it's, a, uh, it's a risk 
issue, uh, and it also uh, takes into account the industrial base. One of the clear conclusions of our bipartisan future defense task force report is that we have to make these trade-offs, but also that many of these new technologies and capabilities are actually less expensive than some of the big old heavy weapon systems that we are working so hard to maintain right now. Just look at China for an example. And we can see the kind of trade-offs we can make. And that's why our bipartisan task force was also able to recommend spending more money on fundamental investments in our national security, like basic scientific research and STEM education of our youth. Commandant, it sounds like this question of modernization and trade-offs is critical. Would you benefit from having a separate hearing to discuss this before the committee? If it's useful to the members and your staff, yes, I would agree with that. And I think the way that the CNO and you and others have characterized it, and I've heard Congressman Whitman and a couple of other members the same. On the one hand, you have combatant commanders who have a risk right now this we're, afternoon. We're just short on time. Uh, Very well. General Secretary Harker, Admiral Gilday, would you agree to such a hearing? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. General Berger, is it a problem that we lost the USS Bonhomme Richard for your China strategy? It's a strategic problem. Admiral Gilday, we need to see the report on this. We need to see the report and we need to have a clear plan to replace this ship if it's critical for our China strategy. All the more so if the rumors are true that one of your sailors burned it down. Yes, sir. I commit to providing G the full report uh, to the General Congress. time has expired. Uh, Mr. Whitman is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I want to thank our witnesses again. General Berger, thank you again for all the work that you're doing with uh, Force Design 2030 for the Marine Corps. Very forward thinking, the exact direction I believe we need to go to make sure the Marine Corps is indeed that lethal fighting force at the tip of the spear that protects this nation at a moment's notice and deters our adversaries around the world. As we look at the things that are necessary in Force Design 2030, there's a lot there. There's a lot of modernization that needs to take place. There's a lot of divestiture in existing platforms. There's a lot of transition to new platforms, to new capability. All those things, I think, are incredibly important. The thing that I'm concerned about, though, is that Congress, in looking at that, gets lulled into a sense that the Marine Corps can do this by just, in and of itself, retiring legacy systems and then taking those resources and putting them forward to modernization. But as we know, you have to do the transition properly. You can't just get rid of everything and then have this giant gap in capability and say, well, now, uh, years from now, things are going to happen. I, I always tell folks, I said, you know, the, the dreams of our nation's defense always happen outside the fit-up. And, and I want to make sure that doesn't happen in this particular case. And what I want to make sure, too, is that we understand that we're not taking on unacceptable risk in that transition. In other words, going through that bathtub. Can you give me your perspective? Because it seems like to me that the Marine Corps has always been noted for doing more with less. Seems like to me that as we modernize, we may be at a point of doing less with less if we don't look at the funding perspectives as you modernize in addition to savings that you accrue by retiring legacy systems. Sir, in my assessment, we have wrung just about everything we can mm -hmm. out of the Marine Corps internally. Mm -hmm. We're at the limits of the risk that you address. Mm -hmm. We've reduced end strength. We've divested of legacy systems. We've taken every measure we can to include a 15% cut in our headquarters. We've wrung it dry. Mm -hmm. We're driven by a pacing threat, as several of you all have highlighted today that we don't control the pace at which they go. 
And I, neither me nor the CNO want to transfer a risk onto the backs of a combatant commander because we, as others have pointed out, we have a perfect record of getting, guessing where the next conflict's going to happen. We got it wrong every time. Yeah. We have to be ready every day, every week. And the best insurance policy we have is a naval expeditionary force that's forward. We're at, the, we're at the limits of what I can do internally right now. So would it be correct to say then that you, in order to get where you need to be with Force Design 2030, you would not only need the resources that you get from retiring older systems, but also some additional resources to make sure we're on track so we don't take that unacceptable risk with the Marine Corps as you modernize? I think that's accurate. My, my only uh, other option is to reduce the end strength of your Marine Corps even further. Mm -hmm. And I think that's unacceptable risk. I, I agree. Admiral Gilday, let me, let me ask about the tension between the COCOMs and what the chiefs are asked to provide, specifically the Navy Marine Corps team, as that demand signal continues to come in. Uh, as you look at the, uh, the plans that our combatant commanders have and then the, the re request for forces. So it's always, what are we doing for today's risk? And I understand the com combatant commander's quandary there, but it seems like to me, historically, we've seen recently a significant increase in those RFFs. So I think the, the question becomes, uh, is the system broken? If all we're doing now is seeing this constant procession of RFFs, is the system broken? And shouldn't we maybe go back to the beginning and say, what's the real scope of threats and how do we do a better job to make sure that we're not consuming so much resources today to generate readiness today that we can't do the modernization we need for years to come. So I think in short, uh, I think the process needs more rigor. And so those 15 requests for forces that extended four carriers and central command for almost a year came at a cost of over a quarter of a billion dollars that we can't invest in modernization. Mm -hmm. If there's a reason to keep the carrier there, then keep it there. But if there's not, use another element of the joint force to do the job and move things dynamically around. I think the current Secretary of Defense recognizes that. Uh, he's bringing the Eisenhower home. He's swinging, he's swinging the Reagan from, from the Western Pacific. That is not an easy decision to make. Yeah. But on any given day, today, the Navy has put 100 players on the field. The Secretary of Defense gets to decide how those players are used. And, uh, and I just try to advise the judicious use of those forces so that we preserve precious resources. Thank Very you, good. sir. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. Next up is uh, Mr. Scott from Georgia. Uh, Admiral, I'll, I'll move quickly on this. Uh, on the CNO's unfunded priority list, you've got readiness shortfalls, including aviation depot maintenance, ship depot maintenance, and flying hour programs. Uh, could you speak to the issue of the balance between growing the Navy and sustaining the current Navy and what it does for readiness today? Yes, sir. Current readiness has been and will be my number one priority. We need a Navy that needs to be forward and it's ready to fight tonight. And so I'm not backing off at all on our requirement, I believe, uh, that serves our sailors well. And now General Berger mentioned this a few minutes ago. When we start, uh, when we start cutting away at current readiness, um, we begin to push that risk on the backs of commanders out there at sea and the people that work for them. When we begin to man ships with less people, because it's always easy to take away people, that's, that's money in your pocket right off the bat. Or we, or we put less ammunition in magazines, or less spare parts in supply storerooms, or we cut back on training. 
Then you have a Navy that begins to become irrelevant. The gentleman's time has expired. Uh, Mr. Garamendi is recognized. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Admiral Gilday, uh, where's the five-year ship plan? Sir, the 30-year uh, the shipbuilding plan or? Ship improvement, the shipyard improvement plan. Oh, the shipyard improvement plan. Yes, sir, we'll have that by the end of the month. Good. Then we'll have a hearing shortly thereafter. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, Commandant Berger, could you, in four minutes, explain the uh, Marine Corps of the future and what we need to know to prepare for that in this year's NDAA? Uh, sir, I offered in a separate hearing to lay it out in detail in four minutes or less. Uh, first, you need a Marine Corps today and until that point that's ready, that can respond now. We can't take it off the field, as a couple of you have said, come back on the field three or four years later with the force we're going to need. We have to be ready every week. We will. We are ready today. The force that you need in the future, I think the best case you have for deterrence against somebody like the PLAN or Russia is to have a very strong forward force that's expeditionary, that has the ability to collect against, to deter, to compete every day, every week. Yep, the ability to, to work with allies and partners, to build a network that will have the best chance of success of denying that, to prevent the next conflict from ever happening. But if it does, to be already forward so that they can respond quickly and decisively. That means we have to be lighter. That means we have to be less of a land force like we have been for the past 20 years supporting the operations in the Middle East and more of a naval force. You need us expeditionary, you need us lighter, you need us able to sustain that force in a really distributed fashion, plugged into a naval and joint architecture that can move information rapidly, make decisions quickly. It's the best chance you have of deterring, and frankly, if a, if a crisis happens, responding quickly. Well, all that in two minutes. Uh, well done. I do. I do agree with you, we need to have a, um, a full hearing on it. Of particular interest uh, to my subcommittee is the sustainment issues as well as um, locations from which you need to operate. Uh, so thank you for that. Also, uh, I understand that, and this may have been asked earlier uh, during my absence, if so, my apologies. <coughs> the uh, AAV uh, incident off the coast of California, the loss of nine of eight Marines, one sailor. I understand that an additional action has been taken in the last week with regard to the command structure. Has that been, uh, could you please uh, tell us where, what actions have been taken with regard to the command? Once I reviewed the results of two investigations, the one safety investigation and then the first legal investigation, once it was clear to me uh, what we knew about the event itself in that day. There were still unanswered questions. So we directed a follow-on investigation to look back six months to find out how was this unit formed and who made what decisions. When that investigation came to me, it was pretty clear that the division commander at that time failed to uphold what we expect of a commander to do in providing a trained ready force. I pulled him out of his IG position and uh, since that time, 
I've administratively counseled him, formally counseled him, that's a permanent part of his record. Which means what? Most likely, um, it's difficult for an officer or a general to move forward with that in their record as a permanent basis. Uh, very good. I appreciate your ongoing um, effort to deal with this tragedy and the necessary command. As I've said and others have said in the hearings in which we conducted on this, a culture of safety must be part of the Marine Corps' ethics. Could you, well, you won't comment in the next seven seconds, but uh, I'll let that hang there and appreciate your efforts. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Kelly is recognized for five minutes. Mr. Secretary, what is the top line budget this year as opposed to last year? Just a dollar number. This year's top line budget for the Department of Defense, 700. Not, not, not for the Department of Defense, for the Department of the Navy. 211 million. What, what's that? 211 million, sir. And what was it last year? 206 million. Okay. Billion. And so, so sorry, my next question you, would be is. Um, I think you mean billion. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir, billion. So, Go ahead. Sorry. And, and my next question would be is of that, how much is allocated to things other than building ship or doing personnel? How much of that is to climate change? How much of that is to uh, renewable fuels? How much of those dollars of your budget are allocated to something other than building ships or training sailors or Marines? The majority of our uh, budget is focused on personnel. Well, I know the majority, but how much of it is not focused on that? Uh, we have not previously tagged our budget for those things, and so we're going through the process of identifying what those specific dollars are right now, sir. Okay, and there's a $2 billion cut in shipbuilding next year, right? $2 billion cut in the shipbuilding budget, is that correct? Uh, versus what we had planned in FY21, yes, sir. Okay, and then, so uh, when do we expect the shipbuilding plan? Shipbuilding plan is going through the clearance process right now. I hope to get it to you soon. I'd wanted to get it to you before this hearing, and um, was unable to get the that was one of the only questions I asked Secretary Austin would he commit to doing that since we did not get one last year you understand that we can't do our jobs if we don't get that product from y'all yes sir I understand we've uh, committed to get it to you and we will get it to you uh, could not get it done it's a little late now though we're talking about the budget now and and you understand that you're asking us to trust your judgment in the future and your management of risk throughout all departments while at the same time failing to provide us any insight into what the future looks like. It's one of those, trust me. Sir, the shipbuilding plan is something that is typically not delivered in the first year of a new administration. This year it is required. and we But it's a requirement it. under law, correct? Pardon me, sir? It's a requirement under law to provide that yes, to us, sir, correct? Yes, sir, it is, and we are going to deliver that. And, and you do understand that uh, in Mississippi, uh, you know, we built ships there, and you, you visited there, and I thank you for that. That shows that you are on the spot doing the things that you're supposed to do, and I really appreciate that, Mr. Secretary. But my question is, uh, during this budget, we're asking to cut out one DDG. Yes. Yet we had already committed in this plan to build two. So we're asking to cut one of those. So, so what do we tell those shipbuilders? What do we tell those employers? What do we do that labor force? And when we have to build that DDG later, how much more will it cost the taxpayers because we didn't do what we as a government agreed to do? Sir, that's, that was our biggest regret in this budget. I wish we could have fit that DDG into this budget. And uh, we are committed to building that next year. We're also committed to doing a multi- And those laid off workers, will it cost more once we lay off workers that aren't able to do what they were committed to do? 
You, you understand our industrial base. When we have to lay off workers or they don't have something to do, they have to be laid off. And you understand, then that costs us, the American taxpayers, much more dollars to build the exact same thing because we have to regen a workforce. Yes, sir, I understand. And I was impressed with what you're doing down in Mississippi with the uh, partnership with the local high schools and with your community colleges to bring on a workforce and to maintain that workforce. And we believe that we can continue forward with uh, providing um, the support for that industrial base. And you know, here's, here's all I'll tell you is we're getting a defense cut. We're getting a haircut this year. You can call it whatever you want, but it's a haircut. And it's a significant haircut across the board. And, and I remember when we had ships crashing into each other, commanders being relieved, captains of ships or commanders at all levels, aircraft falling out of the eye, uh, vehicle turnovers that were killing Marines and Army kids. All these things happened because we had an adequate budget in order to do the things that are necessary today. And I will argue, if we're not really, really careful, guys, we're going to start having sailors crashing ships, airplanes falling out of the sky because of maintenance errors, untrained leaders who are not enforcing standards that should be. And I will just tell you, you guys need to really push back. This budget is not capable of doing what we need to do to protect the nation today or in 2030 or 2035. And I just ask guys, that's what we pay you big dollars for. Please push back and let them know it's not enough. You're great leaders, you owe that to this nation. Thank you, now you're back. Not everybody thinks that stuff is interesting, but I do. Yeah, I do. Um, that's the watching sausage being made, right? And it's not very glamorous, but you can see that Commodore of the Marine Corps is in a position where He's out of slits relative to doing it internally. And the Marine Corps needs more money for him to get where he wants to take it. Um, so you, you hear some pretty interesting stuff. Uh, the guy from Mississippi, right? Shipbuilding in Pascagoula, Mississippi. Uh, he not happy. Not happy with the Navy in terms of not being able to deliver products that they're supposed to deliver so, you know, politicians can make, at least go to, go to fight for the things they think they need. And so uh, that pretty interesting. Um, so you see both services attempting to, to transform under a lot of pressure, the Navy in particular. You know, the, they're... You know, modernization of their submarines. You know, that's a ton of money, right? The F-35 buy is a ton of money. The Bonhomme Richard, as uh, Representative Moulton, you know, started asking about. Strategic problem for the nation. Um, so, uh, I know it's not the sexiest stuff, but uh, we'll listen to the ending the back half of that so today about 30 minutes of it and uh tomorrow i'll find the the last 
out of probably the last hour or so, I'll find, uh, you know, some cuts out of that. And, and again, I just, um, I think it's very interesting uh, when you sit down and you talk budgets. So, uh, yeah, how it works, how it works. And would you say it in public? If you need it, would you say it in public? Or would you say, yeah, this budget worked for me? All right. Uh, so, anyway, uh, with that said, here on this Monday, I'm Mike McNamara. This is All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. Uh, don't be afraid to help somebody. If I can help you, uh, just yell. Uh, also, if uh, you know anybody who's struggling with trauma, tell them I'm starting an online, another online seminar, the third one, and uh, they're invited. Cost is free. Come and learn. Come and help other people learn. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, they're amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, I love doing them. I'll do one tomorrow afternoon from here. Yeah, that's how much I enjoy doing them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, with that said, uh, have a great day. Uh, don't be afraid to change somebody's life. I'm out. <laughs>